Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, as we continue here in our study through the book of Galatians, winding down here, just probably three more messages here out of the book of Galatians. And I've really enjoyed the study here as we've made our way through the book. I trust it's been a blessing to you as well. Once you've found your place there, if you'll stand in honor of God's word, what I want to do, uh, it's been a couple weeks, and so I want to just read a couple other verses at the beginning of our text and after our text to help us see this truth that's sandwiched right here in the middle of them. It gives us a good context for what is going on here. So look at verse 2, Galatians 6, verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now I want you to go to verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So at the beginning of this, the context is we need to bear each other's burdens. That's one of the ways the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in our lives is in loving and caring for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we bear one another's burdens, and that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is, as I have loved you, love your brethren. That's, that's his law. And then we see at verse 10, what we'll get to next week, is that we, as opportunities come up, you kind of see the way this flows into each other, bearing one another's burdens, and then he kind of closes this section with as we have opportunity, do good to all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. So with that context in mind, we're just going to be covering verse 6 tonight. Very short, succinct verse. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Let's read that one more time. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Unique passage to preach tonight uh, from verse number six. The title of our message is the church's place and the preacher's provision. The church's place and the preacher's provision. So we'll trust that God will bless his word. You can be seated. We'll consider what God has for us tonight. One of the most uncomfortable topics for a preacher to preach about is really on the topic of giving, the topic of giving. Now, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, one reason in particular is that you don't want your church to develop the reputation of being that church. What do you mean by that church? That church that's all they're after is the people's money. That's all they want. And so... Preachers don't necessarily like preaching on giving because it can give them that mindset if they, or that reputation if they focus on it too much. But there's some other reasons. One of them is the fact you're thinking about the reality that so many people in churches today are dealing with some serious financial struggles personally. Uh, they, they are dealing with medical bills. Some are on fixed incomes, and so money is already really tight because they're on a fixed government income in a really expensive city. 
And so you're, you're conscious, uh, conscious of that fact. Some are facing rent increases. As we have already heard tonight, some are dealing with car problems <laughs> and, and getting their vehicles fixed and back on the road so they can get to work, so they can make money, and it makes it challenging. Others are trying to figure out uh, what they're going to, uh, how they're going to manage some bills that have begun to pile up in different ways. And so you realize the pastor that as you glance out over a congregation, especially like ours, you realize we're not just overflowing with rich people here. <laughs> you're, you're talking about people that they are facing this overwhelming and immense pressure throughout the week, just trying to make ends meet. And so they are going to come to church on Sunday. They're going to come to church on a Thursday night after a hard, long week of work. And they're looking for relief. They're looking for encouragement. They're looking for uh, some grace and some mercy to come from the preacher. And they show up and all he's preaching about is giving. <laughs> I don't got nothing left to give, you know, is how you can think at times. And so that weighs on a preacher's mind when you consider talking about giving. You might also think about the fact that if you're talking about giving in this economy right now, you're bound to make somebody mad. <laughs> and so when it comes uh, to giving, you know, I, I've told our church very early on, there are only two times that I will preach purposefully on giving. One time is when it has to do with missions, because that's God's mission. And so there's no reason to apologize for encouraging people. Hey, somebody on the other side of the world needs the gospel just like you got it. They need that. And we get to have a part in it. And so there's no reason to apologize for giving to God's global mission. In fact, we're going to preach about that on Sunday. And so just be ready for that. You're going to get two messages in a row on giving. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it is what it is. We know we need to talk about it on Sunday. The second time that I will preach on giving is when it happens to be in the text we are covering in our expositional series. And so that's the case tonight, that we're in a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Galatians, and we come to verse 6, which, to be honest with you, as a preacher, it brings you to the most uncomfortable aspect within the most uncomfortable topic to preach on to God's people, especially during a midweek service and in the year 2022. And that is the church's responsibility to care for the needs of their pastor. And so there you have it. It feels a little self-serving. It feels a little weird. And, you know, I had no problem at Rocky Mountain preaching on something like this because it was talking about somebody else. It was talking about my dad. It was talking about a faithful pastor there for a couple of decades. And so it, it was very easy. This is my first time as a pastor approaching this type of, of subject. I read after one commentator, and he said that when he preached this verse at his church, he titled his message, Pay Your Pastor. And uh, yeah, yeah. And then he introduced his message saying this. If the title made you uncomfortable, multiply it times 10. And that's how I'm feeling right now. I can relate with that a little bit. Uh, the reason why it's such a sensitive and uncomfortable topic is really because biblical principles have been misused and abused by today's modern health and wealth gospel preachers, as well as those who 
who profit and exploit God's people like faith healers and televangelists today. Send in all your money and God will make your wildest dreams come true. And people like Kenneth Copeland who got their private jets and they're scurrying off wherever they want. They use the excuse that being up at 36,000 feet brings them closer to God where they can hear from him better. And my soul... No wonder it's uncomfortable for a pastor of a little church to stand in the pulpit and boldly preach, this is what God says, because it's been abused. But if we glossed over every uncomfortable topic in Scripture, we wouldn't have much to talk about. (laughs) Because the reality is, is God's Word has a way of broaching into some of the most uncomfortable topics and confronting us with the most ugly truths and fallacies in our lives. It's what he does. But we have a responsibility to proclaim with confidence what God says. And so I can stand here tonight and I can say I have no problem necessarily. I mean, there's that little bit of discomfort there, but I have no problem preaching this because I can come to you honestly as a pastor and say, I'm not on a hobby horse. I'm not after your money. This is simply the next verse in a series of 24 messages that we've already preached, this being Sermon 25. And so there's no reason to just skip over this verse. It's there. We can see it has a clear context. It has a clear use and a clear purpose. And so in this verse, we find the biblical place that the church has in a preacher's financial provision. What we've seen thus far is as Paul has made his way into the practical side of the letter, and he's showing them how the Spirit functions in the lives of believers and the church to make us who we ought to be, really, to make us righteous, that we don't need the Old Testament law to do that because we have the Holy Spirit. And so he talks about the works of the flesh, And what it looks like when you are living after the flesh. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and what it looks like to be living after the fruit of the Spirit. And what you'll find is as he's come and he said we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then that we are to, as we have opportunity, do good to all men, especially those that are of the household of faith. That word good is a fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, meekness, and temperance. And so goodness falls in line there. It's a fruit of the Spirit that Paul is calling on the Galatian believers to demonstrate, specifically in this text, to those who are ministers of the Word of God, according to verse 6. Well, how are they to demonstrate The goodness of the Holy Spirit, let me put it this way, how are they to demonstrate spiritual goodness to the ministers of the word? Because what we need to know is how God wants us to demonstrate spiritual goodness. Not just, and understand this doesn't specifically address pastors. This is talking about anybody who might come through Boulder Valley Baptist Church that teaches and preaches the word of God and is a help to us. And so we need to understand how we can demonstrate our spiritual goodness to them. And again, that's not a goodness that we have. It's a goodness that comes through walking in the Holy Spirit. It's one he produces in our lives. And so how do they demonstrate uh, goodness? Paul taught the Galatians to demonstrate spiritual goodness to the ministers of the word 
through financial partnership. Through financial partnership. He says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Let him, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. In other words, those who receive the word should care for those who preach the word. That's what he's saying there. This word translated communicate here, it doesn't mean that he is to talk to them. <laughs> you know, this isn't saying that on Go For Sunday, we got our missionaries come in and it says, hey, they're going to come and preach the word. And you make sure you go up and you talk to them. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. This word communicate is a very familiar New Testament word, koinonia, which is the word that's often translated fellowship, fellowship. And it's used in particular in a financial aspect. The word means to share. It means to contribute. Uh, it means in other, word, in other places in the Bible, it's translated to partake, take part in something or to uh, distribute something. The root of the word is actually the word that we get our word partnership from. Webster defines partnership as a relationship resembling a legal partnership and usually involves close cooperation between parties having specified joint rights and responsibilities. That's a partnership. Now, just think about it when somebody enters into a 50-50 business partnership that you got two gentlemen or ladies that are going to decide that let's start this business. I'm going to put $100,000 into this business. And the other person says, I'm going to put $100,000 into this business. They are 50-50 partners. They have equal share. Now, their contributions, financial contributions are the same, but their personal contributions are a little bit different. Okay, somebody might be really skilled in the financial accounting side of things, while another might be really skilled in the administrative side of things, or maybe in marketing or in the specific ingenuity and entrepreneurship. And so they go into this business uh, partnership, and while they have different, different things they bring to the table, they're in it together. It's 50-50. Well, that's the type of word that the Apostle Paul is using here when he says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in the word. And so uh, this is what he's talking about. Those who minister in the word are contributing to the spiritual benefit of the congregation. And so those who receive the word are then to contribute to the benefit of the minister of the word. And so it's a partnership in that way, well, what, in what way does the uh, does the partner do the excuse me? What way does the congregation communicate to the minister? Well, he says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, good things is a translation of one singular word in the Greek language, and when this word is used as a direct object it always is used in a financial way. It's not good in things that are moral, things that are good in that way, but no, it's, it's in material goods. That's what it's talking about. And so he says you are to share, you're to have partnership in material things. Let me just put it in layman's terms. Paul is saying this, that the congregation ought to partner financially with the pastor and, and, and to care for his needs. Those who minister the word are to be cared for by the congregation. That's what he's teaching here. 
Now, Paul's teaching is consistent with teaching throughout the scriptures, okay? I was going to have, before we left the computer at home, I was going to have the verses up here on the screen. So you're going to have to just trust me and, and uh, listen as I read some of these. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 and 18, he says, Let the elders that rule well, not like kings, but administrate well, be counted worthy of double honor. Now, the word honor there doesn't just mean give them the reverence, give them the respect. It's actually used in a financial context that you're to honor them financially. They're worthy of double honor. And then check this out. It says, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. What does that mean? Well, it says that if you're using a, a cow to plow or to, to reap the cornfield, you're not to muzzle his mouth so that he can't eat the corn. You're to let him eat the fruit that he is working on right there. You're to let him eat. So he uses that illustration, which is an Old Testament command. And he says this, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, in 1 Corinthians 9, 13, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar? What's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about Leviticus 6 and 7, which is the, uh, the law for the priests that says that they are to uh, eat of the burnt offering, the trespass offering, and the peace offerings, that they were to eat a portion, whether it was the right shoulder or the right breast, I believe. But they, they were able, to, and what it was specifically was, was the priest who takes the offering into the temple, that he in particular, as he ministers a sacrifice, was to partake in that sacrifice by eating some of that sacrifice, a portion of it. And so Paul's using an Old Testament reference here, and then he wraps it up in verse 14, and he says, even so, or after the same manner, hath the, listen to, listen to these words here, hath the Lord ordained. What, what does ordained sound like? Well, it sounds like an ordinance. We're talking about something like the Lord's Supper, something like baptistry. This is something he says, even so the Lord hath ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And so what the Apostle Paul teaches in these passages is that it is perfectly okay and acceptable and even commanded by God that those who minister the word should live of the word, that they should receive financial uh, uh, provision from the people they are ministering the word to. Now, at this point, somebody might say, but wait a second, Paul was a tent maker. Paul made tents. And, and he made these tents specifically because he didn't want to be chargeable. He didn't want to be burdensome to the churches that he was going to. Well, listen, Paul did oftentimes refuse, refuse those gifts. But he said he had every right and every authority to receive those gifts. But he refused them. And the different reasons why would be either because of their poverty-stricken situation, as was the case in Thessalonica, or if it was because of the abuse that they had suffered at the hands of false teachers and philosophers who were well-known for going house to house and knocking on doors and saying, hey, you were at the speech last week. You owe me. That was prevalent in their day and time. And so the Apostle Paul comes in this culture 
he sees that and he knows, according to these scriptures that he's even brought up from the Old Testament, that he is to live of the gospel. But he says, no, because this is going to hinder the gospel. I'm, I'm not going to receive it. I'm going to go and I'm going to make tents. That's what he said. But there were other times, as was the case in Philippi, where he did receive their gifts. And that's what we're going to see on Sunday. He did receive their gifts and he was very encouraged to receive their gifts. And so what you find here is that while the Apostle Paul uh, would refuse gifts at time and he would re revert to tent making at times, you'll never find where he urges others to do likewise. He doesn't. In fact, he spends more time teaching churches that like this church in Galatia and like the church in Corinth, he's teaching them that it is right and it is responsible for you to take care of those who labor in the word of those who minister to you on a regular basis in the word of God. And so that's what Paul is teaching there. And some might say, well, it's just Paul. He was a missionary. Of course, he was going to say, you should be giving money to people that are teaching and preaching the word of God. He was a preacher. <laughs> well, listen to what Jesus said in Luke 10, 7, when he sends his disciples out. It says, and in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer is worthy of his hire. See, it wasn't Paul actually quoting the Old Testament when he said that he was quoting Jesus, that the laborer is worthy of his hire. And so Paul is uh, Paul clearly has this built into his theology that it's God's plan that the churches who receive the word of God should also bear that burden and and care for the financial needs of the one who is preaching. Now, the question comes to our mind, why is Paul addressing this in the churches of Galatia in this particular place? Why is that? Well, fleshly divisions had arisen in this church. We've got to consider the context of what's going on in Galatia. The fleshly divisions had risen in their churches surrounding doctrinal issues. And so it's quite possible that what had happened is there were some who had grown envious of certain teachers in their church. Or there were some who disagreed with certain teachers in their church because they weren't on the same side of them regarding this matter concerning the law. And so they had grown envious and maybe they had even stopped sharing with them. They had stopped giving because if we were to go back to chapter five, you can tell the divisions are there. because He says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And so he's talking about how there were issues. And the reason these issues were taking place was because they were living after the flesh. You had the envying, the strife, the emulations, the divisions, the heresies, seditions. You had all this going on in that church. And so it's quite possible the reason why Paul says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things might very well be because some had stopped communicating with them because they didn't get along with them, because they didn't agree with them, because they didn't think it was their responsibility. Because he also had to tell them, bear ye one another's burdens. And so as we talked about last time, it may be that there were some that said, that said, you know what, that pastor's fine. Everybody else is giving to him. He'll be fine on his own. I've got my own needs, and so I don't need to give to this. 
You know, these are these are purely matters of speculation. It doesn't tell us in the text, but there is some particular reason why Paul is bringing this up in the first place. And I don't think it's a far stretch to suggest that it's because there were some who were not willing to communicate with certain teachers in their church for one reason or another. But what we find is that Paul is revealing that this mentality of not communicating was in fact fleshly, that it was a manifestation of the works of the flesh. But the fruit of the spirit is dot, 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 ellipses, goodness, goodness. That's a word that means kindness, benevolence, generosity. And so what the Apostle Paul is getting at here, when you look at the overarching context, is that the spirit-filled response in their particular situation is not to hoard to themselves. It's not to divide. It's not to be picky and choosy over who you're going to help and whose burdens you're going to bear. But the spirit-filled response is to be good and generous toward the ministers of the word of God. And so that's what Paul is teaching here is that the church's place in the preacher's provision is to demonstrate spiritual goodness through financial partnership. Now, admittedly, there is a danger for both sides of this financial partnership. There's a danger for those who minister the word. The danger for the pastor is feeling that he has the right to demand a certain level of salary package and benefits package and the danger to live extravagantly off the gospel, which is nowhere near what God had in mind when he inspired these writers to write these texts. But that is a danger. And unfortunately, we've seen it happen, especially here in the United States of America. Another danger for a pastor is to be lazy and dishonest about the word. See, the church, the church gives faithfully and understand this. Our giving is not for this pastor. Our giving is not for the preacher in particular. Let me strike a balance here. Our giving is to the Lord. And the Lord determines where that money goes. And the Lord has determined in his word that some of it, not all of it, televangelists and faith healers, (laughs) some of it. God has determined in his word goes to those who preach the word, but not all of it does. And so understand that when you give, your gift is to God and God uses your gift to fund his ministry, to fund his global mission. And so and so the church gives faithfully to the Lord. And you recognize this when you give that, yes, the pastor is going to live off a certain amount of those offerings. And here's what you do, is it not? You trust that your pastor is going to be spending his time studying the word of God. You're trusting when you give that gift and realize it's going to be given to the pastor in some portion, that you're trusting him to be faithful in evangelism and you're trusting him to be out on hospital visits and you're trusting him to be building relationships with people in the community or maybe teaching a Bible study at the university or volunteering in some nonprofit or other community ministry, you're, you're, you're giving that gift with the full faith and trust that your pastor is going to do what's right. And that is a right expectation. 
You should expect that. But if a pastor is not careful with his integrity, he might be found sleeping in till 10 o'clock while you're at work at 6. He might find himself on the golf course too many days a week. He, he might find himself going on vacation far too often, you know, where he's gone more than he's here. That might happen. If he's not paying attention, he'll be skirting responsibilities, not giving the sufficient time to study, and living lavishly and lazily off God's people. That's a danger. It is. And pastors have to be careful about that. And so we can already see that the reality that this is a danger is there are mainstream, quote unquote, pastors who own their private jets and they've got their membership at the country club, which is a lot of money. They're living cozily in their multi-million dollar mansions, wearing their designer jeans and their designer suits. It's a danger. Listen, God's plan is not that the preachers he calls should get rich off the gospel. God's plan is that their life should be sustained by the gospel. There's a huge difference there. I can go to Bad Daddy's Burger Bar and I can order something that's going to get me fat and happy. Or I can order something that's going to sustain life. The fat and happy side would be the bacon cheeseburger on steroids. That double 14 ounce worth of meat and eight strips of bacon and cheese and, and a, a huge Pepsi with several refills and maybe a shake afterwards and their fries and their onion rings. I mean, it's awesome. And that'll make me real fat and happy. Or I could eat like an eighth of that and just sustain life and make it. That's what we're talking about here. God's intent through, listen, God's intent through your giving is not that your pastor or any other preacher should get rich off the ministry of the word. It's that God would provide for his needs, the basic needs of his life, his housing, his food, his clothing, a vehicle to be able to go and see you when you're in the hospital, uh, to, uh, a truck to be able to help you move when you got a storage room full of stuff. Uh, that to supply his basic needs so he can meet your basic needs, especially surrounding the ministry of the word. And so there are dangers for the preacher in financial partnership, but I'm also going to submit to you that there are dangers for the congregation. There really are. Consider this. A congregation can develop an unhealthy mindset that because they cut the checks, they control the preacher. That's what they can think. This is my tithe. This is my money out of my bank account. And so since I cut the checks, I can control the preacher. So if he doesn't preach how I like, if he doesn't use the music I like, if he doesn't structure the service the way, the way that I like, then I'll walk right into his office and I'll give him a piece of my mind. I have that right. Why? Because I'm signing his checks. That's a danger. It truly is. That's the kind of danger that destroys preachers and their families and their churches. It truly is. Or they might say, I'll gather a crowd around me and fire him and hire somebody that will do what we want. If I can't do that, then I'll just stop giving. He's not getting my money anymore. That's a danger. 
the church can feel like the pastor should never take a vacation because their money is given to him so that he can minister to their spiritual needs, but they never take the time to consider the fact that his wife and his kids get very limited amounts of his time all throughout the year because he's spending his time ministering to you and ministering to the community and in study and in preaching and discipleship and Bible studies and, and, and meeting with Satanists and, and all different kinds of things that a pastor does and moving storage units and going to Denver for hospital visits that a lot of times because they're giving that if a church looks at it from this perspective that my giving is what funds him, therefore he should not take his family to Disney World. I don't get to go to Disney World. Well, understand that one seven-day period, if they even take one that long, is probably more time those kids have with their daddy than they have the entire year at times. Not in every situation, but many times. But listen, there's a danger to get to thinking that way. They might think that because it's their offering that they have a say in how the pastor ought to spend his money. That he ought to bring the church receipts of how he's spending his money throughout the week. Listen, a pastor ought to have integrity and he ought to apply biblical principles of stewardship. But it doesn't mean he needs approval for where he takes his family to eat or where he takes them on vacation. That's not what we're talking about here. That's a danger. A pastor must be wise but listen, the danger of a pastor living off the offerings of God's people can lend itself to the thinking that they own the pastor and therefore the pastor can spend his time in ministry walking on eggshells where he doesn't have the liberty to, fo to follow the Holy Spirit and lead the church where the Holy Spirit wants him to take it. It can, it can take away that liberty because he's so concerned about offending people, about deacons getting together and wanting him fired and different things like that. It can, it can cause trouble for a pastor. Listen to this. It's easy to develop the mindset that this is an employer-employee relationship. It really functions in no way like that because God has given the pastor a position of authority. He's not to abuse that authority. He's not to lord it over God's heritage. He's not to abuse the flock of God. He's to feed the flock of God, to shepherd them. But God has given a pastor a semblance of authority. But he's also given the congregation a responsibility to pay him. That doesn't fit the whole like employer employee thing. That would be like you going to work and paying your boss. Writing your bosses, it just doesn't. Th that's not the picture that the Apostle Paul's painting here. The Apostle Paul is painting the picture of financial partnership. You know what that means? We're in this together. I'm not in it for me. You're not in it for you. We're all in it for God. We're all in it for this community. We're all in it for each other. That's the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting. And so, you know what this means? That means a pastor should be tithing. It means a pastor should be giving to missions. A pastor should be giving to love offerings. A pastor ought to be sharing in his responsibility in this financial partnership. And so there are dangers on both sides. And these prevailing dangers are what led Paul to live off tent making in certain places. You know, you know what will help? I mean, just consider these dangers here. They are real. 
They are true. You want to know what will help eliminate those dangers? The context here. The context. What do you mean by that? Walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. See, the spirit won't lead a pastor to extort and live lavishly and lazily off of God's people. And neither will the spirit lead a congregation to fleshly, self-centered responses to the word of pastor. You can see how all this is connected. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so in light of this scriptural teaching on financial partnership, what does it mean for Boulder Valley Baptist Church? Well, number one is this, that God's plan is for our church to get to the place where it is fully supporting its pastor's family. That is part of God's plan. Now, obviously, we're not in a position to do that right now because we're still a baby church. That's one reason we're not organized yet. We're still actually a ministry of Rocky Mountain Bible Baptist Church in Longmont. We're like an offshoot of Bible studies and worship services from that church right now. And the reason why is because we're not self-supporting. Therefore, we're not indigenous. But I tell you this, I'm thankful that we've got 70 churches that are full of people just like you that give to missions on a monthly basis that enables my family to live of the gospel and to minister in the word and to be there for you and to meet with people in this city without having to worry about, I'm not a tent maker, but sometimes I'm a paint mixer, but only a few hours a week. And the reason I don't need to do that for 40 hours a week is because God's using people like you to take care of our family and therefore to take care of this church. I'm very thankful for that. God's plan works, and we ought to be a part of it. But it ought to be our goal for our church to get to that place. It ought to be. Because we can't expect that support to be here forever. <laughs> but God's plan clearly is that pastors, preachers of the word should live of the gospel. And so it ought to be our goal. Now, for the sake of transparency, I want to clear up a spot and let you know that our family is being taken care of by God. We're not rich. We're not living lavishly. But nor are we fighting for survival. God's taking care of us through this church and through our partnering churches Paul said it's okay for a pastor to work a side job every now and then when it's deemed necessary. But his goal is that we would live of the gospel. And my passion and desire as your pastor is to give as much time as possible to studying and ministering the word, to evangelizing our community, and to building relationships with the lost in hopes of bringing them to Christ. That's our passion. That's our calling as a family. And God's plan for sustaining that type of ministry is for the church to support the needs of the family. But here's what it takes, a collaborative effort of partnership where each person in the church is doing their part. God's plan for us is not to get rich, but simply for our lives to be sustained by the ministry of the word. And so that's what this means for us as a church in particular, but I want to point out one more thing here that Paul isn't just talking about pastors. He's talking about teachers. It says, let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. This means this principle applies to missionaries, evangelists, guest preachers that we might have come in 
and teach. And God willing, one day, if we can have a staff member or an intern and, and you know, God's doing a lot of things in my heart about church planting right now. And, and God willing, sometime in the next few years, we'll be able to bring somebody on or maybe God will call somebody out of this church and we can support them in some way while they go to South Boulder and start a church or Louisville and start a church or Superior and start a church. And God's plan would be that we would support them. Why? Because they're going to faithfully minister the word to us here, just like we've had Noah here this summer and has helped with that. It's right that we would help them. But next Sunday, we're having two missionary families come, and the Hendricks and the Padillas. They don't work jobs. They travel from church to church to church right now, ministering the word and stirring God's people up for the cause of world missions. And God's plan is for us to partner with them financially. And that's what we want to do, God willing, next Sunday. And the way that we do that is through faith, promise, missions, partnership. And we're going to talk on Sunday about what that is, so I'm not going to give time to that right now. But I want to say that uh, God uses our tithe to sustain the life of your pastor, but God uses our free will missions offering to sustain the lives of missionaries and church planters and other people who would take the gospel elsewhere. But you know what? These missionaries also have needs right now. They're traveling full time, living in a van, <laughs> sometimes in a hotel room, sometimes dark and scary missions apartments in the middle of New Mexico or the panhandle of Texas. They're kind of sketchy talking from experience here. Uh, you know, it doesn't always make sense for them to go to the grocery store. They don't always have an oven to be able to cook. So you know what that means? They're having to live off McDonald's and Little Caesars and Chick-fil-A. So that means they need money to sustain them throughout the week. Sometimes they got to book a hotel room to be able to stay three or four nights in the middle of, of two missions conferences or in the middle of a couple of meetings. And that takes a lot of money, especially in our day and time today. And they need some churches like ours who are going to have them in. And yes, we're going to support them on a monthly basis but they need some that are going to come alongside them and give them a love offering, a free will love offering. That means there's not a specific amount that you're required to give, but it just means this. We ought to have a part in sharing in their needs. And, you know, you're, if you just say, I, all I can give is 10 bucks. Well, hey, you bought at least the parents some food and the kids will survive. <laughs> but no, what, what God does is he puts your $10 with his $10 and his $10 and his $10 and his $100 and his $25 and my three dollars and he puts all that together and you know what he does he supplies them with a week of food he supplies them with a week of hotel stays instead of having to sleep in their van that's that's really what paul experienced as he went from church to church these churches communicated with him they shared with him and god always met his needs to the point where he said i've learned in whatsoever state i am therewith to be content he said, I, I've known what it's like to be hungry. I've known what it's like to be full. But God's always taken care of me. Then God wants to use us to do that in other people's lives as well. I haven't even mentioned inflated gas prices. <laughs> I mean, gas is double what it was whenever I was traveling. I can't imagine what their gas bills are every month. Listen, they would never complain about these things. It's what God's called them to do. And they're trusting God to provide for them. But when they come and they minister the word of God to us, God wants us to share in their needs. And the way we do that is through love offering. 
And so every time we have a guest preacher here, there are going to be times when my family's out of town because we're going to take one of those vacations every now and then to spend some time together. And we're going to have a guest preacher in uh, like we did when Brother Chuck was here and I was having surgery. (laughs) Um, And we gave them a love offering. And those girls that sang, they ministered the word to us in song and we gave them a love offering. Uh, But it's not just that we ought to just write a check out of our bank account. No, God's saying that those that are taught in the word, that would be all of you. That would be me that we are to communicate to those who are teaching the word. And so we ought to each have whatever part God enables us to, to be able to meet their needs and sustain their living. This is all part of walking in the spirit, bearing one another's burdens, and doing good to those who are of the household of faith. It's all part of it. And so the church's plan or the church's place and the preacher's provision is to demonstrate spiritual goodness through financial partnership. You know, Jesus demonstrated his goodness to us by giving us all he had. His time, his love, his blood, his righteousness, his very life. He gladly spent it for us and he would spend it again. And now what he's doing is he's sending preachers and missionaries all all around the country and all around the world to go and tell lost, fallen sinners that Jesus is their savior so they can trust in him and have salvation, forgiveness and eternal life. And all he's doing is calling us to have a small part in it. And so the way he enables them to give their attention to that ministry is to call us to give of our material goods to help facilitate his gospel mission. So the only question tonight is this, how do we respond to the truth? First of all, I would say this, that God requires the tithe, 10%, 10%. And you know, a lot of times we throw a fuss about that. But if you really think about it, it all belongs to him. And he gives you 90% of it (laughs) and only asks 10 back. But you know what he does through that 10%? He uses it to fund his global mission. And so it might be that God would speak to your heart and say, you know what, it's, it's time that I do my part in sharing here. Another way is through our faith promise commitment a week from Sunday giving to mission, financially supporting those missionaries. Another way is through that love offering. And so you might just, I mean, the the response here tonight is really this. I can see clearly and plainly that part of my responsibility in manifesting the spirit of God's goodness in bearing one another's burdens and in doing good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith, part of my responsibility in that is sharing and providing for those who preach the word of God. So what area do I need to commit and just do what God's told me to do? Father, we come to you tonight and just thank you for the time in your word and this study. And I just pray that you would use it in our hearts, maybe to just shore up um, an an area of struggle, especially in our economically difficult times, relatively speaking, of course, but. Um, it's not easy right now. We live in a very expensive city and it can be hard to consider these aspects of giving at a time like this. But what we know 
is that you have said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You have said that we would not go hungry, that you would meet our basic needs of life. Think of the Apostle Paul's words, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God, we know that you're able to take care of us, and I pray we would go away tonight encouraged by that reality and committed to do our part in sharing in this partnership. So speak how you will, and I just pray we'd respond. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.